Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner. You know me, you know my voice. I'm going to be taking you through the episode today, and we have an awesome guest who's a first timer, I believe, on the podcast, which is always fun. Maybe not. Maybe I'll stand corrected. I'll ask him in a second. But before I get into the meat of it and introduce our guest, shameless plug, don't forget to download, subscribe, tell all your best friends about this podcast. If you want to contribute, let us know. We are open to ideas and we want to hear what you have to say. Um, or if there are any great guests you want on this podcast, let us know and we would love to collaborate where it makes sense. All right, let's get into it. So today on the podcast, we have Morgan Teachworth who is the SVP and the Common Hardware Group, responsible for leading hardware and supply chain for Cisco's wireless and Meraki portfolio. So he took that role in December of 2022. And prior to that, he was the VP of hardware and supply chain for Cisco Meraki. Uh, he came to us, uh, to Cisco in 2012 via the Meraki acquisition, where he was one of the founding engineers which is kind of a fun fact, and we're going to talk to him about that. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me today, Sammy. And you are right. This is my first Meraki Unboxed. I've sent team members to Meraki Unboxed before and listened to their podcast, and they were always really fantastic. So I am excited to be here. Yay. I'm so excited to have you. And this is the first time you and I are meeting personally, but I've seen you a million times on all of the all hands and you always have a really fun background. And I feel like you're kind of like a comedian a little bit. Am I right about that? I mean, I don't know, but that's what people tell me. So it's not my fault if I'm funny. Um, right. Yeah. You know, it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing being seen by so many people, like being on the yeah. senior staff and showing up in those meetings. And I have like the smallest role in the, uh, the all hands. So I'm glad that my background stuck out a little bit, you know, I'm glad to yeah. be making a little bit of a splash. You totally make a splash, you know, on those drab dreary days when you have to talk about inventory, you're like, Hey, at least I got a cool background. <laughs> And we'll talk about that too, you know, supply chain, what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the market. But oh, don't, um, don't throw me in the briar patch on supply chain. Yeah. It's only been two years of talking about it constantly. Can we talk about engineering a little bit today? Let's talk about engineering. Yeah. We'll do both. Compromise. Yeah. Um, let's start from the beginning. I mean, why, why did you, were you interested in, in hardware engineering and how did you land at Meraki? All right. Um, so like a lot, like a lot of people who ended up in engineering, I started young. Um, I grew up in the era before personal computers and didn't grow up in Silicon Valley. So my exposure to computers, to early computing was really from a hardware angle. It was working with older, you know, Mac twos, trying to cobble things together, like using them in the lab and then taking old ones and putting them together. So I was kind of that classic, like, take it apart and put it together, kid. Um, and then through school, I, you know, I kind of gravitated to the math and science. I gravitated to playing around with stuff that you could put your hands on. Um, not like an early, an early programmer so much as a system builder, building circuits, putting, I grew up in a, in a house that was being remodeled constantly from the age of 10 till I left to go to college. So I just learned to do a lot. And then when I went to school, I started studying mechanical engineering. I really loved it, but this was like 
98 to 2000 era. So there wasn't like a lot of glamour in mechanical engineering. It was all about computer science. Uh, wasn't really ready to make that leap, but I went into electrical engineering. And it was there while studying at Stanford that I met Sanjit, who was the original CEO and founder of Meraki. I was uh, roommates with him or suite mates, apartment mates with him for a while. And when we, gra when we graduated, he went on to MIT to study with the RoofNet program that eventually became the genesis for the Meraki as a company. I went to work in, at NVIDIA as an RTL designer. Um, and for those of you who've ever done chip design, it's basically programming, which means it's basically sitting in front of a computer all day, yelling at it and having the computer tell you that you're wrong. And I hated it. I did it for four years. I have a great respect for what programmers do, but I never, ever, ever want to do it again myself. So four years in, I was ready to quit. I was doing the engineer version of dropping out, which is thinking about going to law school and studying intellectual property. Um, and then Sanjay showed up and said, hey, we're starting a company. I said, I don't care what it's doing. What do you need done? Um, and what he needed was somebody who had done a little bit of this, mechanical engineering, a little bit of that, electrical engineering, and was willing to work with him to make this physical product to bring the concepts from the RoofNet program to life and make it mainstream. So I started part-time working for Meraki on a string while I was extracting myself from NVIDIA. Um, I was putting solar panels and access points in the parking lot of this janky little office that was at the time smaller than my apartment. And my apartment was pretty small. Um, <laughs> and when I finally made the leap, you know, I think Meraki was maybe six or seven people at the time when I made the full leap to, uh, wow. to full to full time uh, from that little office. And I've just been riding it along ever since from that that 2006. And I, and I never look back. Wow. What an incredible story. So you were really, really there at the beginning. I was. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. you know, there, there are folks around the building still like Sean and Dan um who work in in like the back end the cloud the software who'd been on roofnet who had worked with sanjit there um we all kind of joined around that same time so it's nice although the founders have gone a lot of that early spirit still kind of you know walks the halls and so it's really it's really nice for me to still be part of that continuous motion since 2006 to now it's going on 16 17 years yep yeah. Wow. The Meraki magic still lives. We got to keep it alive. Who else will, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, tell us about your experience as one of the founding engineers at Meraki. I mean, what is your current role in Compass? And can you give us a little bit of a day in the life? What is that your was day two, like? those were, That was a spectrum of questions that spans 16 years. <laughs> um, being a founding engineer. Uh, so the, what Meraki was doing when I joined was bringing up a product with a manufacturer in Asia, uh, trying to drive it to mass manufacture, working in you know what the, the advanced wireless technologies of its time, both indoor and outdoor. And I was qualified to do zero of those things, zero of them, basically. Um, 
I joined Meraki and one of the first things that I realized was, especially when it came to our partners, the business development, the contracts, working with uh, Asian manufacturing and joint design manufacturers, that I was in way over my head. So the first thing I did was hire my own boss. You know, like you're at a startup, you know that it's dependent on you to get work done. And so Hans and I went, and Hans was one of the founders, Hans and I went and we interviewed a fellow named Ben from Apple and convinced him to join and like Ben became my boss. Um, and I learned a ton. The first thing he did was he told me get a passport because I had never been out of the country. And wow. then he proceeded to take me on a two and a half week trip starting with Shenzhen, China, all the way through Hong Kong, Taiwan, where a lot of our stuff is manufactured to this right. day. So that was my experience as a founding engineer. Like I knew how to run a lab bench and I knew how to read a schematic and I knew how to CAD a little bit. I wasn't good at any of it. I had a college education in these things rather than any real experience in them because I had been chip designing. But then this just like splash in the deep end of being out there with partners, starting to work with customers, um, working on contracts, like all of the people aspects of engineering, which I had sorely, sorely missed. And, and in truth, like that's what I love is working with groups of engineers, working with groups of innovators, like building something big together across the <laughs> globe with a whole lot of people. And like, that's kind of what my role encompasses today. So I have an internal team. I have an engineering team that does product R&D through architecture, design, ramp to manufacture, manufacturing, and I have a supply chain team that like buys those goods and watches the population of them and makes sure that the customers are having a good time. It's end to end, but what it really is is building this giant ecosystem, mostly outside the walls of Cisco that we <laughs> work with day in and day out to build lots of different products it, and that organization that you know extended family through contract and marriage basically like it breathes it grows and it shrinks and it changes over time depending on the products that we make when we introduced cameras that required a whole new ecosystem to be built overnight. And like, it's like a whole new wing of the family that lives over there in IoT land now. Um, so it's really, really exciting. And my role now is basically just like playing slightly distant patriarch to a very, very big extended family through a lot of the people that have grown up with me inside the Meraki organization who, you know, run or coordinate very big pieces of that now. It's super exciting. And of course, I work with, I work in, I am part of the common hardware group. So like after being a quote Moroccan for so long, like now I'm a Moroccan and a Sisconian in Cisco, like really trying to grab onto that Cisco identity and drive the Meraki business to great heights using the power of Cisco, but also drive central Cisco into some of the best practices adopting that Meraki magic because we all want to grow the top line of the whole business a whole hell of a right. lot. So that's, that's my role today is evangelizing, um, making sense of what doesn't make sense from an outsider's perspective on Meraki and turning that outsider perspective into an insider perspective and frankly like 
growing my Meraki family to include all of Cisco. Right. No small feat, I'd like to call out. Thank you. Yeah, no small feat. It's crazy to think in your 16, 19 years that you've been here, the evolution of your role and how much more you're taking on probably. And also the commonalities from when you started, you know, in manufacturing and going out to these factories and deciding what chipset and what manufacturers to work with. I mean, there's so, you're doing so much more, but also there's kind of this line to the same. I mean, the fu- I mean, the funny thing is, is so, so doing this for like 16, 17 years, I was a dumb kid out there doing things for the first time. And like, I was working with some dumb kids at these companies who were assigned to like junior baby accounts that maybe would never go anywhere like Meraki. And now over time, like I've been here and I have the position I have now and they've been with their companies in Taiwan in many cases for many years. And so like I walk over there and I'm like I'm working with the the GM of a major group of a large multinational manufacturing company. And I'm like, hey, dumb kid, I remember you. And he's like, yeah, you too, dummy. And, you know, it's 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 very strange. And it's like, you know, when you're young, um, and you're an outsider to any group, you're like, there's an old boys club. And it's usually an old boys club. And you're like, that really sucks. And I hate it. And then you grow up and you realize that like, shit, I just, I stumbled right into an old boys club. And like, here I am. And like, what am I going to do with it? And who's in this club? And who is looking at me and saying, look at those guys. They're awful. Like, what are we like, what are we doing to make sure that we don't repeat the cycle that we felt and that everyone around us felt um, and for and, you know, for everybody, not just people who are like us and coming up, but like everybody who's anywhere in that that journey towards, Mm -hmm. you know, having been having had a career, anybody who's building a career, like, Mm -hmm. how do we make sure that they don't feel like they're perennially on the outside of kind of go through the same grow up journey that we did, you know? Right. Well, I think just your level of self-awareness though, A, and the acknowledgement that that exists leaps and bounds ahead, right? Because you're consciously thinking about that. um, (laughs) Thank you. It's hard because sometimes you meet someone early career and what you want to be is like, look, I'm sorry to tell you this. You're a dummy. So was I. So am I. Like, there's very little difference between you and me, except I'm sitting on the other side of this desk, right? Um, and I think with the with the hinds with hindsight, I can say like, yeah, everybody should have admitted that. And at this point, like everybody should admit that. Like, mm-hmm. we're all we're all doing our best to make this really really big machine run, and like whether you've been doing it a long time or you've been doing it a little while, like no matter what your background, like you're bringing something to it. And like, yeah, everyone at the table is some kind of dummy. Right. So like, let's, uh, let's make the table a little bit bigger and maybe like we'll have enough dummies to figure this one out. (laughs) There you go. Well, I mean, this leads us perfectly into my next question, which has to do with hard lessons learned, right. In your career, as you navigate, as you grow, as you evolve. I mean, you have a a big job and uh, COVID probably didn't make that any easier, right? Given all the things with supply chain that I won't get into. Um, But what lessons, you know, it's not the highs when we're riding the highs and things are going well that define our career. It's how do we show up when 
stuff yeah. that's really hard. Um, yeah, well, can you talk to us or give our listeners insight into maybe a really tough lesson you learned and, and how you grew from it? Yeah. Um, and this goes back to my like table of dummies uh, story. But essentially, if if you're working and the problems that you have are not much bigger than you, if they're not giant, hairy problems that need to be solved, then you're not punching up. You're not punching at the level that you need to be. You're not working on something that's going to change the world. You're not working on something that's going to grow yourself. Um, and when you do find a problem like that, you're not going to solve it on your own. Like if you could have solved it on your own, it would be a smaller problem. Like you're going to be extremely reliant on the people around you, um, your peers, if you're a manager, your employees, um, people in the industry, resources like EROs, like just folks across the organization, like senior leaders, industry leaders, your family, your friends, your neighbor, like there's going to be a lot of influences there. And like, it's a really big table and everybody who's working on these problems can't solve them on their own. Like if they could solve them on their own, they would politely ask you to leave the table and they would just solve the problem on their own. But you're really in it with a bunch of people. So when you are, you know, when you're starting out or if you've been working for a while at a comfort level, um, you can get it in your head that like, whatevs, I got this. Like, I got it. I'm great. I'm going to solve this. Like, I'm going to get it done. And like, fine, maybe you are like, maybe you're in a comfortable place and you can just solve all of the problems that you have. But it's like, it's the world's job and the company's job and your manager's job to put you in a position where you are not just punching on your own and you are heavily, heavily dependent on the ecosystem that's around you and the relationships that you've built. So at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I don't care if you're technical, like a very, very technical person, a technical specialist, like the only person in the world with a PhD in XYZ, like the relationships you build and the relationships that you sustain and the, you know, the allies that you make and like the, the aligned vision that you have and your ability to communicate and line up behind a really big push is how you're going to get, you know, how you're going to get and keep the rock up the hill, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So build a network, you know, build relationships that are long lasting and put yourself in, in positions where you might have to lean on other people to accomplish something great because yeah. that's going to push you outside of your comfort zone. And it, admit it when you don't know. Like admit it when you need the help, admit it when you don't have the answer. Like that's the key. Like if you're pretending that you're just going to solve it, people are lazy. They're going to believe you and you're going to be sweating every night because you're not actually solving the problem. Like admit that you need the people around you. And when you need help, admit you need help, advice, another idea, like seek it out. I think nothing can go farther towards building a really inclusive environment at work than conscious culture. And a big part of that conscious culture is like being open to admitting that you yourself need the environment. You're vulnerable and like you need help from anybody. Like you're desperate. You'll take it, you know, and that people will step in and they like, people will accept the invitation to step into your orbit and contribute to something great if you're making it obvious that it is very, very welcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I can both agree 
even I think people's biggest fear in admitting they don't know is I'm going to look dumb, right? Or the people are going to laugh at me when in reality, when people come to me and say, I don't know, or I need help, or I'm spitballing this, can I bounce this off? It's, it's so incredibly bold to me. And I want to help that person two times more, right? Mm -hmm. But when I say to my team, Hey, I don't know, but I'll find out, let me get back to you. Instead of saying some bogus answer, people appreciate yeah. it big time. One of the big biggest privileges of rank or position, and like one of the biggest privileges of privilege in general is the ability to get away with looking dumb. Like I can go in a room with lots of people, a big room, and I can ask a really basic, really dumb question. And like, I've got enough track record to back up that like, it's fine. I'm asking this dumb question or people give me the benefit of the doubt. Obviously he's asking this question for the benefit of the rest of us. No, I really needed the answer to that question. But um, I understand that like the world does not afford everybody that privilege. Right. And I think like over time, certainly I feel more and more like it's kind of my, it's my duty to show up, to show up and, let myself be obviously ignorant in a room mm -hmm. until I understand. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's really hard to coach people to do that because it's so it's, you feel so vulnerable doing it, especially if like you don't have the privilege to back it up. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll encourage everybody like do it as much as you can do it as much as you feel comfortable doing it. Like it is, it's an amazing feeling as you're able to get away with it more and more. And it just brings you many happy returns when you are willing to put that on the line and, and learn from people who know better than you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. I mean, I used to have not used to, I don't want to say I fully conquered it, but I would, I had this complex around not being smart enough. Right. And therefore my, limiting belief was that if I ask this question, I'm going to look a certain way or I'm going to, and the more you evolve and grow in your career, I've gotten more and more comfortable with saying, I don't know, or I don't know, but I'm going to pull in the right people or, you know, let's, let's double check that before I give it. And it's so freeing when you kind of let go of knowing it all. It's so freeing. Yeah. 100%. I like to think when I'm putting a team together, when I'm hiring, like everybody I hire, they say like should raise the bar and then people say you're silly you have a team of excellent people how is every hire supposed to raise the bar you say well everybody i hire in my org they're better at something than i am like mm -hmm. it, it might not even be work but they're better at something or they know something and they've lived something that i haven't and that is now accessible to me like i'm a i don't want to say a book collector i'll say i'm a book hoarder and so it's like you know, every person in the org, every person in my network, like there are another book on the shelf. And when push comes to shove, like there's something in that book that is valuable to the business, of course, but especially like to me as a person that likes people, like there's something valuable there. And I tell myself in every hire, you know, I used to say like, what's your superpower? And now it's, it's not even necessarily a superpower. It's just like, what have you got that like, I want to taste in the short period of time that we get to work together. You know, it's selfish, but I think it helps build a, a really fantastic organization. Absolutely. That's a, that's my hiring mentality. Same page. Um, let's transition and talk a little bit about Meraki's hardware portfolio because it is changing. It is changing rapidly. 
Um, I've been at Cisco Meraki for five years, even since the time I joined, it's transformed. Um, what are some of the challenges your team is solving for our customers and kind of, you know, take us, give us a lens at how, how the portfolio yeah. is really developed? The, the exciting thing about the growth of the Meraki portfolio is it started targeted at this whole of an underserved market. Our first year tagline was internet for the next billion people. Uh, we're still working on that that next billion people. You know, I think now it's like 3 billion underserved people around the globe that Cisco is trying to build an inclusive future for all with. And we took that little space and we've expanded it and expanded it. We went from like the very small low income to SMB to the, the mediums to commercial to hospitality, just every vertical we could get into. And it continues to grow up the chart. And from a hardware portfolio perspective, like when you're doing the smaller stuff, like you're taking some risks, you're fast following technology, you're building products like cheaper, you're making a few compromises here and there to make sure that, it, you know, you're democratizing it so it's available. And then as you go up, you start to segment your line, you get uh, higher level of performance, you get higher and higher levels of quality, you get longer lifetimes for your product. In every case, they're going to live longer because you know you're going to live longer. So you stop thinking in five-year increments and you start thinking in 20-year increments in terms of service to customers. And we're on this cusp where like, we've, we've conquered a big market and Meraki on its own would weep because there was really nothing left to conquer in that space. And so we said, well, you know, we're going to open up this giant enterprise market, which Cisco has served so well, and we're going to bring a little bit of the Meraki magic to it. And that's challenging for my team, building products in that space, even helping to, um, I want to say like converge or borrow products from that space. Like we did with the, uh, the early, our early entrance to the catalyst switching line and now moving Meraki like best practices and experience, even if it's not like pure board design, but moving the ethos up into that space, it's, it's a new set of challenges and it requires a different kind of skill set. And frankly, it requires the kind of patience that none of us had. Like none of us had the patience to go and work in enterprise. And I'm not even digging on Cisco there because like Cisco from a Meraki perspective is slow. The reason isn't because of the way Cisco was built. It's because enterprise demands this level of attention and detail and diligence. And now we are learning how to play in that space. And at the same time, we're trying to bring that like Meraki massive acceleration to the business. And it's hard to hold those two things in your head at the same time. It's enough to make my teams dizzy, the go fast, break it kind of mentality with the like absolutely no breaking allowed, like strong service and customer focus, better, bigger, customers with larger requirements, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough. And so you're seeing right now this rapid evolution of the Meraki portfolio, our own products, you know, designed in the Meraki house to the products that are 
designed by Cisco Meraki jointly, as well as looking forward to adopting products that are so far from anything that my team has ever worked on, the big switches, the data center type stuff, and how those might become cloud managed. And even if I never touch the hardware, my team never touches it, or we don't touch the supply chain directly, like we're still trying to put like grubby little Meraki fingerprints on all of those solutions and offerings and the manufacturing and the partners and the business development and the ecosystem um, to ensure kind of a seamless customer experience all the way through um, is tough. There's a lot going on there. And I'm really excited yeah. about it because I've always been about leverage. My team has always been really small. We use partners, we use contractors, we leverage other people's manufacturing and we use them for problem solving. The team has always been as small as I could get away with your startup, that's how you operate. Even coming into Cisco with the money pouring into us 10 years ago, we stayed small and lean and we used leverage. And now that we're moving into the big organization, well, the game is the same. It is leverage. What is the absolute best product that we can put out? What is the best solution and customer experience that we can generate? Whether we're doing it ourselves or whether we're using the longest lever or whether we're just barely like throwing rocks at somebody's window to get their attention. It's, it's all about leverage. And a, a team wants to see their impact. So sometimes we have a huge impact at Cisco, but it feels like the action we took was so small. Did we ever really take an action at all? And so helping the team understand that there's a very big snowball or avalanche effect at the work that we do today in getting to the Cisco of tomorrow, small actions in a big organization have, have big impact. And it doesn't feel the same. A lot of my team members have been here for eight plus years. It doesn't feel the same as it did eight years ago, but the impact on the world, like the size of the ding that Meraki is putting in the universe is much, much bigger, even if it feels like the hammer is very tiny now. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's um, I wanna use like an example to kind of for, for listeners, we have some listeners that are really technical partner folks from our partner community, our channel, and then some just Cisco and Rocky employees and then outside of the organization. So I want to give like a tangible example of kind of what you just were talking about. Um, it's, it's never been more apparent, right, that the Cisco portfolio and the Meraki portfolio, like we are one Cisco, right? And we are seeing that merge kind of happen with some of the new products that we have hitting the street and the new features like cloud monitoring, right? Where you mm -hmm. see your catalyst switches within dashboard. And then we have this whole new line of access points, right? That are the CW model, right? So like these catalyst powerful access points managed through the Meraki dashboard, which are by the way, super popular with our customers, which is awesome to see. Talk to us about what that process is with your team specifically. So going from MR, right? Which is our mm -hmm. um, APs to CW, like yeah. the, the hardware component of that now being managed through dashboard, what imprint yeah. does your team have on that? I am, I'm really glad you brought that one up because especially, you know, for the folks who are listening to this, who want to like see what we've actually done and not just hear about what's happening or going to happen. Um, 
the first generation of converged access plants, the CW. This was a collaborative effort by two teams, the Meraki Wireless Team and the Common Hardware Group Wireless Team, which are now one merged team uh, that I look after inside the Common Group. That's recent, that's only the last couple of months. In the beginning, you have these two teams, both of whom have their own set of customers, both of whom have their set ideas about what a product should look like um, and how it should be built and have a lot of pride in what they've built over the years. You know, the, the wireless portfolios, um, they were of similar magnitude. The, the, you know, common hardware group, the Cisco Catalyst offering, maybe twice the size of the Meraki business, but like both up there in the billions. And bringing them together, you have a lot of egos and, and not even just egos, but just a lot of pride. Um, and rightfully so, because they had both achieved so much and had had a long history. It's the oldest product line for Meraki, and it's a 20 year plus product line uh, at Cisco. So in the beginning, uh, people want to fight. You know, they want to fight for what they believe in. And what they believe in is not wrong. There's nobody coming to that room who is wrong. Uh, they all have a very valid point of view and they all want to do good work. And so it was a tussle. And a lot of that early tussle um, was, okay, I own this and you own that. Like we, this is my lunch and that's your lunch. And like, we're both gonna serve different lunches to the customer, but like they have to look the same and they have to be the same. And so I get to watch you make your lunch and you get to watch me make my lunch and you get to, we get to try and tell each other what to do, but nobody's in charge really. Um, and that wasn't, that was not working. That was not working very well. You can imagine based on my description, you're like, how the hell would you expect that to work? That, that doesn't work. So we really had to get those teams working together. Like every project, every each access point is its own little kitchen. And we couldn't have at the time a central kitchen and a Meraki kitchen and expect the meal coming out to feel like they were they belong in the same restaurant. We had to mix things up and we did. And it was uncomfortable for everyone. But as I was talking about people like, fundamentally people just needed to shake up and like rebuild their daily network mm -hmm. um and they did they did and those products are they're awesome products they have a lot of the like meraki design aesthetic and a lot of the you know cool wiggly little bits that set meraki off but they also have that deep commitment to the cisco quality like all of the legacy of high performance Nothing was lost in bringing those products together. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit of efficiency in the first generation in terms of how we worked uh, was lost. But so what? Like, so what? We, we lost a little bit of efficiency to go build something really fantastic. And now that those teams had worked together for a generation, mm -hmm. now they are one team. And that means we're set up for success moving forward. And we're seeing this pattern repeat not just across the Meraki hardware organization where you know our switching teams are working together, our routing teams, like some of the IoT teams, not only are we starting to, to repeat that model, but you're seeing this across the entire organization. You know, Meraki has run as a independent business unit for quite some time, and that was great. We had a lot of success that way, but 
we are all not going to succeed if we continue that way. So all across the functions and teams of the organizations, it is becoming one big meshed organization. And there are heroes on both sides. And I mean, let's be honest, there are villains on both sides and there are good practices on both sides. And like, it's very, very cliche to say we're going to get best of both. Um, and I don't even like to think of it that way because it implies that like we only get to keep what we had. Like we are building better. Like we are building better now than we we were before. And across all of the different offerings and product lines, you are going to see a net better offering and a net better customer experience available to more customers up the ladder and down the ladder all across the globe because of how the different teams, engineering, sales, marketing, support, everybody across the board are coming together with kind of a, a single-minded focus of a joint solution. Right, right. I, I'm really glad that you called that out. Um, you can kind of take ownership of that. I feel like kind of the elephant in the room, like how are we working together? And, you know, we're pushing a giant rock up a hill and setting egos aside. And But I think you called it out beautifully, which is like there should be. There's a lot of pride in both product lines, and they've both been wildly successful. But I can't imagine that's been an easy feat initially, like that V1, right, of getting the teams to come together. What's something, you know, quickly, and then we'll, we'll close out, I'll ask one more question. What's something you as a people leader have learned about bringing two teams together to really, you know, work together and try to hear each other out? Have you had any, like, aha moments through this process? Um, there's this, the one of the Cisco values is to, like, give your ego a day off. And... It's very tempting to conflate, like I said, like ego and pride. And you can you can ask somebody, you know, give your ego the day off, but you can't ask somebody to not be proud of something that's really fantastic. So you have to tell, you have to let teams be proud of their history and their heritage, what they've done, where they're from. I mean, you can extend this all the way to like, you have to let people be proud of who they are and where they're from and how they live. And at the same time, like that pride does not mean they have to show up with a big ego. It doesn't mean that they have to be right or righter than their, their coworkers or the other teams. It is okay to not give pride a day off while you're giving your ego a day off and like bring everybody together. And like, that was a that was a hard thing for me to understand. It's part of everybody in. Like everybody in requires you to give your ego a day off, but it does not require you to compromise who you are or what you're proud of. Yeah, well said. That's a good that's a good tidbit nugget I'll take from that. Um, this has been a really fun conversation. I feel like we could talk a lot longer. So I this might we need we need a part two already. I'm just calling it now. Always happy to we bet we I mean we got through the history and now we barely touched on where we're going. Um I am very you know, I'm very happy either to come back or bring some members of my team or if you want to bring a like old goats of Meraki panel together <laughs> at some point, like very, very happy to try to try and old. make that happen. Old goats of Meraki. Heard it here first. I love it. Well, you mentioned something earlier about conscious culture, right? And that being something that's important to you. And when you're hiring and building teams, certainly something you're thinking about. Um, 
so when you're not leading the Meraki hardware organization or the uh, the common hardware group, I'll call it that, um, what other initiatives, right, fuel you? What gives you energy? You know, you mentioned your superpower earlier. We have some incredible employee resource groups at Cisco, at Meraki. In what way do you kind of contribute and, and give back in that regard? Yeah, um, I think the, num the number one thing, and like I'm going to stretch and show my shirt if I'm on video, um, the number one thing is that I'm the executive sponsor of QFAM, which is the Meraki LGBTQ plus organization um, and adjacent to the Cisco Central Pride organization. And I've been doing that for several years, I since the beginning of the pandemic. So at least three years, if not a little bit longer. And working with that group and being proximate to the other EROs, because there's a lot of overlap uh, in population, like the, the QFAM, it's the one group that populates across all of the other EROs. You get a lot of, of overlap there. Um, it's given me a really good appreciation for like what it takes for people to really show up as themselves um, in an organization. And for, you know, a, a minority that is very, very invisible, like it's capable of being invisible and capable of being seen and is stronger when seen and the like the environment that has to be there like to be seen to be heard to have community and be part of the larger community so i continue to support the group um there's a there's a there's a leadership team of the group and they are fantastic and they do all the real work and all i do is show up and maybe find money for them to do things and then occasionally stand on stage and take credit for it but um <laughs> Yeah, I really love doing that work and I like digging in with the, you know, the DNI community of Meraki and of Cisco. I also do a lot of work on the the talent side. I personally enjoy going to any kind of convention and being like a talent and brand ambassador even if I'm not hiring. I enjoy bringing people into the tent. Um in another life I would have enjoyed being a carnival barker, you know, so like the, the the talent mission and and honestly like this is a good place to work like Cisco is a great place to work and like you can go look at all the awards that say it's a great place to work but like I work here and this is a good place to work so bringing people into that and like bringing people of all stripes into that and like making sure that those stripes remain distinct is really, really important for me and a work that I continue to do like in the spare time when I'm not trying to build product or put Meraki ethos into other products or try to buy parts. So like every time you challenge me about the supply chain, just remember if I wasn't working on the supply chain, I was working on diversity. You can't fault me for that. Like you know, cut me a break. I was doing diversity stuff in that You're 10 seconds a day when I wasn't trying to buy switches. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, shout out, shout out to supply chain on that one. Things are turning around. Don't ask me when, but they're they're turning. It's a big ship. Um, yeah, so that's that's really what I focus on. Very cool. I did not know that you were the executive sponsor for that group. I'm so glad I asked about it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, um, this has been a really fun conversation. Again, I'd love for you to come back. This was super insightful. You were really honest. You were really vulnerable. I love that you shoot it straight. I feel like sometimes, you know, the higher you get up on the ladder, maybe the tougher it is to, to just 
be super transparent and real and raw. So I just want to thank you. I appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to love this episode. I'm glad I apologize to the comms team if they are listening and I accept the penalty uh, or the torches that you will show up at my door with. But I, I think that it's a valuable to see what's going on in the building. So thank you for having, thank you for having me today. I yes. really enjoyed it. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up another episode. Uh, Morgan, I'm definitely going to have you now come speak to my team, which is the U.S. Public Sector Organization, because we'll just get a hoot and a half out of you now that we've, we've built this relationship. Um, so tune in to next week. Uh, we'll have another episode in two weeks, uh, new content coming at you. Morgan, thank you again from the Meraki Unbox family. We're so happy that you joined us today. And uh, stay safe out there, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.